Great to get to share with you today. Um, we've talked about that we want to be a church that enjoys the truth about God the Father. That's the segment that we're in in this year-long series on what kind of church do we want to be. And uh, as we start, I wanted to just remind ourselves where we've been. We said that, number one, God the Father is good, that he's close, that he cares, that he parents us, that he loves us. And today we're talking about how our Father gives good gifts. So I wanted to start with a couple questions here, real simple. And the first one is, if you could ask God for any gift, what would you ask him for? You know, a lot of ideas could come. You could brainstorm. Very good. But if we were to switch this question just a little bit and say this, if God could give you any gift, what do you think he'd want to give you? Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here. We ask that your spirit would come minister to us and lead us. Um, you are good. Your love endures forever. God, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our heart will be pleasing to you because you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So last week, Steve told us that real love is wanting God's best for someone. And God wants his very best for you. And a normal part of loving someone is to actually start to give gifts to them. And that's been going on for all of history. Every culture, every generation has been giving gifts. And it looks kind of like it's just wired right into us. And that's because it is. We are created in the image of God. And God is the great gift giver. And the question we're left with today, though, is what kind of gift giver is God? And a thousand years ago in a, in a little town called Bethlehem, excuse me, not a thousand years ago, a thousand years before Jesus, in, in, in a town called Bethlehem, there was a little shepherd boy named David. And his journey throughout life ended up with him in the palace as the king of Israel. And during his journey from shepherd to king, he wrote and he sang, just like we were singing songs here today. He would write and he would sing about his relationship with God. And he put them into something we have in the Bible called the Psalms. And the way that he expressed his heart's desire for God and how God met him has been super helpful for me in my life, just looking at the Psalms, getting them in my heart and mind. And one particularly that has helped me is in Psalm 103, and it says this, the beginning, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. He forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, fills, renews. That's how God treats us. And that's how God loves us. But what sticks out to me is that little line, may I never forget the good things that he has done for me. And I wonder, why did the psalmist have to say that? In C.S. Lewis's classic children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this young boy named Edmund, and Edmund enters into another world where he meets this evil witch queen, and he's scared at first until she offers to make him any food he wants. 
and he really wants this special kind of candy called Turkish Delights, and so she magically creates them for him, and before he realizes it, Edmund is entrapped by his own lusts. He's convinced um, to actually betray his own family, and then he's chained up in this woman's dungeon. And Lewis was portraying the false gifts the world and the devil offer us, seductively pleasing to the flesh, but death to our souls. Yet even knowing that we can so easily be deceived into chasing after these things, some weird reason that there's a reality in us that pursues them anyways, even when we know they aren't God's best for us. Even King David's son, Solomon, gifted with unparalleled wisdom, could not control his desires for money and power and sex. And it took him a lifetime of drifting away from God until he was actually in a spiritual prison before he realized, wow, I've wasted my life. So take a look at this lie that we're going to be addressing today, a lie about the Father. Um, we're going to renounce this later in the service. It says this, I renounce the lie that you, Father God, are denying me the pleasures of life. So most of us at one time or another, for one reason or another, have found ourselves looking for things that we know aren't God's best for us, and yet still finding a way that some weird, weird reason we feel are either ripped off by God or like we're not worthy enough to receive anything from God, and neither of those are true. Finding freedom from this lie begins by embracing the truth of what God has given to us and then never forgetting it. Look at our affirmation that we're going to say earlier, or later today. It says this, I choose to believe the truth that you, Father God, are the author of life and will lead me into love, joy, and peace when I choose to be filled with your spirit. So how are we going to remember that? There's so many great gifts that God has given to us. We're singing about the goodness of God. It's true. It's true. I had a friend in church a number of years back that's since passed away, but he struggled with mental illness. But even more than that, he struggled with just the simple idea, was God good? And had God been good to him? And it was a major obstacle in his relationship, and he got some good advice from someone who said this, hey, why don't you try every day to start thinking of one thing that you can thank God for that day and do a different one every day. And he did this from that day on till the day he died, finding another thing he could be thankful for to God. And you know what? It helped him. It helped stability. It helped his relationship with God. And I believe that for us, we need to do something similar. And I think we could begin by saying thank you that God has given us life or that God has provided for our daily needs or that God has sent Jesus to deliver us from slavery to sin, Satan, and death. Those are history-changing gifts that God has given us that we must never forget. And then there are the everyday small gifts that maybe only you and God know about, stuff that you can just say, thank you, God. Um, but if God were here today, I still ask the question and could give you one gift. What do you think he'd want to give you? One of the clearest stories that we have in the New Testament about God as a gift giver is found in both the Gospels of Matthew and in Luke. But there's an important difference between them. They tell the same story, got the same point, but they have some very interesting differences. 
So we're going to compare the two today. So both begin by Jesus saying this. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So the context of Jesus, his teaching is prayer. He's saying you need to ask, you need to seek, and you need to knock. But he's getting at this point is, and you need to expect something. And he's confronting their expectation about who God is. He's saying, listen, I know who my God is. My God is my dad, and he's good. And you can trust him. But watch what happens next. The endings in Matthew and Luke are very different. Listen carefully. Matthew finishes with this. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew's clearly saying that God wants to give us good gifts. But Luke finishes it with specifics. Luke says this, so if you, know, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke's saying that the good thing that God wants to gift us with is the Holy Spirit. And he wrote it because Jesus said it, and if Jesus said it, I think I should really want it, and if I don't really want it, there's probably something going on that's not right in my head or in my relationship with God, or my understanding of who he is. And I don't think that that's that weird. I think there's been many times in my life where I've gotten a gift, and I didn't understand the value of it, so then guess what? I didn't really value it. But the Holy Spirit can't be a gift like that. We have to elevate his value and, and say, Lord, I will not forget this gift. The whole Old Testament had been leading up to this. God simply showing people, that without him, they were going to continue to cycle down into brokenness. They needed help. And the Old Testament finishes with this picture. God, what are you going to do? What's going to happen with your people? Are you going to help us or not? The New Testament then begins with the conception of two babies. It's interesting. The answer begins with the conception of two babies named John and Jesus. John and Jesus were related through their mothers, Elizabeth and Mary. The scripture says that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. And his life mission was to pave the way for the coming king. He baptized people with water, a sign of their repentance, to get them ready for the new kingdom. And then while doing this, John told his followers that someone greater was coming. And he was going to do greater things. And this person would baptize them, not with water, but with fire, with the Holy Spirit. And John said, and there is the person. And he pointed to Jesus. He said, there he is. The scripture tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus himself said that his goal was to make a way for humanity to be back in relationship with his dad. How was he going to do it? The first step, simple. Not simple. He's going to have to give his life for humanity. The perfect sacrifice for sin, laying down his life, and then taking his life up again, conquering death, resurrection. 
we cannot fully comprehend that gift. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus made it possible for us to have a relationship with God, to come into his family, completely loved, completely forgiven, never to be afraid again. Many of us, I think, have had a relationship with God, and this has been my experience through Watertown over the number of years, that is less about a personal relationship and more about an affiliation. It's, it's kind of like we know about God, but we don't really know him. But Jesus gave his life so that you could actually know God personally. He offers us abundant life that he alone says, I can and I want to give it to you. But a personal relationship with God and abundant life with God don't come alive in us until we've received the Holy Spirit. So the second step Jesus took was to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told the disciples the Holy Spirit was going to be with them, in them, would assure them, would comfort them, would grow them, would guide them, would unify them, would empower them. And he left them some instructions for his disciples to get ready for it. He said this, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that was the point. Jesus was going to his Father, and he was leaving his mission in the hands of his disciples. But he wasn't going to leave them alone. He was sending the Holy Spirit to make sure the mission got accomplished. And when this promise was fulfilled, it wasn't like when Jesus was born in the quiet stable off in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't like that. When this promise was fulfilled, it was in the middle of a huge celebration in a huge crowd gathered in Jerusalem from all over the place. And the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind, came like a fire, and filled the room where all the disciples were gathered, and their worship and their prayer were transformed, covered in God's glory. And it was so real that everyone in Jerusalem knew something history-changing was happening. So the apostle Peter, he went for it. He's like, this is it. I need to explain to them what is happening. And so he said this. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. And now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to pour out upon us, just as he, just as you see and hear today. They responded, and it says, Peter's words pierced their heart, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And I think that's a great question. And I thank God that Peter answered. He said this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to those far away and all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. From that day forward, the disciples would never be the same. The Holy Spirit completely changed their lives, their character, their relationships, their mission. They were living the abundant life that Jesus had promised them. And I think we would do well to ask the same question the people asked Peter. What should we do?
What should we do today? I want to leave you with two things. First, I'd like us to consider a simple idea, but it's important. Ask and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a simple faith issue. God said he would give it if we ask. And God tells the truth. And so when we ask, we can believe that we've received it from him. And this begins a personal relationship with God where we can, we can actually hear him speak. It doesn't really matter what you feel. You might feel something, you might not. That's not the point. It's a faith issue. And I start to be able to hear God. For me, it happens in my head where he starts to lead my thoughts. It sounds just like my voice. But I recognize over time, oh, God, that's what it sounds like when you're leading me in my thoughts. He also speaks to me through the scriptures. That's an intimate way that God pulls stuff out for me and speaks to my heart. There's many other ways that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. But the process of hearing his voice is part of what you do when you're growing up in Christ. Just like you're growing up as a child, you've got to learn to hear. And so we grow up in Christ and we learn to hear his voice. And once you start to understand what his voice is like, then you realize, wait a sec, I don't have to be a super Christian to have a spirit-filled life and to be led by God's spirit. He wants to do this in me right now. When that happens and you start to realize it, that's when the Christian life gets exciting. It's not something you have to do anymore. We don't have to try to get you excited. It's just there and you're ready to go. The second thing is we want you to expect the Holy Spirit to empower your up, in, and out lifestyle. We talk about this at Cornerstone all the time, going up in worship and prayer, in and into community, and out on mission. And the truth is that all through the history of the church, the last 2,000 years since Jesus, the church has been empowered. The engine of God is the Holy Spirit. And he will be our engine too, right now. And a lot of us have church backgrounds where we got in a routine of going in our up thing, our up rhythm, we got, we got, that was a ritual for us. We might have even gotten a little bit into the in rhythm where we had community and fellowship, but a lot of us, we, we rarely saw any real out and didn't even know what that fully meant. Um, but here's the deal. God wants to transform your up, in, and out experience, and he's going to do it through the Holy Spirit. He's going to come into our lives, and suddenly he starts to bring purpose. When you've asked him and you've received him by faith, he starts bringing purpose and passion to your worship and prayer, and we need that. He starts bringing unity and love into your community experience, and we need that. And he starts bringing compassion and courage to our out experience, and we need that. So we're going to take communion a little bit. And as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, I think, it, I think it would be appropriate for you to consider if you've really ever asked God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Maybe you've thought about it, but if you really asked him, and I just say this, if you haven't, you need to know God has this gift for you. He wants to give it, and I'd say, what are you waiting for?